You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. And as I look around this room this morning, I, I recognize the fact that we have people from so many walks of life. We've got people from many nations that are gathered in this place. You may not be able to see that on online church, but right here, right now, we've got people from our Indonesian brothers and sisters. God bless you. You're with me. That's right. African brothers. We've got Fiji representing here this morning. It's fantastic. We've got New Zealand representing this morning. Let's hear for Kiwis. Praise the Lord, Samoans. We got the Filipinos here. We got them all happening this morning. It's a mixed bag. And uh, man, it's so good to be here. And for some of us, South Africa, that's right, represent. And so we've got them online as well this morning. So God bless you. Make sure, again, you're typing, you're chatting, keeping those things alive this morning. But if you have not lived in Australia long enough, you may not be aware of what Anzac Day actually represents. This morning, all around churches right now, and tomorrow you'll find people will be gathered together to commemorate a sacrifice that was made 106 years ago. So on this day, the 25th of April, uh, in the year 1915, I'm pretty sure, 1915, the Anzacs had marched on Gallipoli. And unfortunately, it was not a decisive battle. It was basically, you know, both had incredible losses so much loss of life in that time and I was so surprised to find out we only had like six million people Australia wide so today we have about I think it's 27 million Australians live in this country so if you're thinking six million back then about hundred less oh, about a hundred years ago that's that's tiny six million people so when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of men going to war and then we lost hundreds of thousands that's a significant loss for a nation and so there was a, a massive commemoration that took place the following year and has been continued to this day to both commemorate their courage and their sacrifice, but it also commemorates the sacrifices of many people who now still go to war on behalf of our nation, to our policemen as well. We honor them this morning because it's about sacrifice this morning. And today we, we find it hard to understand what that sacrifice was like. And so I wanted to share with you the story of Alec William Campbell. He was known as the last sentinel of Gallipoli, the last living member that actually stormed on Gallipoli. And uh, he died at the age of 103, quite a few years ago, the very last one. But I want to tell you a little bit about his story. And his story begins in Launceston in Tassie on the 26th of February, 1899. So this man actually sp spanned three generations, the 1800s, the 1900s, he finally passed away in the 2000s. Alec was the son of Marion Thrower and Samuel Campbell, grandson to Donald Campbell, an immigrant from Scotland. You see, most Australians are immigrants. I remember back in the day growing up feeling a bit out of place. We had the white Australia policy. So if you weren't white, you weren't seen as Australian. In fact, if you said, oh, you know, he's half Australian, half something, you're immediately thinking a white Australian. But look around the room this morning. These are the new Aussies. 
and we come from different races and different backgrounds. But this much we do share. If it wasn't for the sacrifice of those who battled at Gallipoli, if it wasn't for the sacrifice of those who are battling for us today, we would not be able to enjoy the freedoms that we have right now. On the 2nd of July, 1915, two months after the landing at Gallipoli was reported in the Australian newspapers, Campbell presented himself at the recruiting office where he gave his age as 18 years and four months. He was at that time, he stated, a clerk in an insurance company and served three years in the senior cadets at Launceston's Scotch College. He was five foot five inches tall. I was taller than him. Think about that for a moment. 61 kilos. Parental consent was necessary for anyone between the ages of 18 to 21 to enlist in the force, which should have presented an obstacle because this young man lied about his age. He was actually two years younger. He was actually 16 years, four months old. But he so wanted to go to battle. The other problem he had to come across was to show the authorities he had his parents' permission. But he got that head on. He talked to them. They actually wrote a permission slip for him to be able to go to battle. On June the 30th, his parents signed their consent, and he was enlisted for the front, unwittingly reserving a special place in history for their son, number 2,731, Private A.W. Campbell, 15th Queensland and Tassie Battalion, 4th Infantry Brigade, Australian Imperial Force. He would be nicknamed as The Kid. But in fact, you'll find that at that battle in Gallipoli, in fact, in the, among the Anzacs, many of them were underage and lied about their age to be able to go to battle. Can you think of anyone today that would lie about their age to join the army today? Can you think of anyone who would join the army today? You know, God bless them. We need, we need Christians in the, air, in the force. The eighth reinforcements to which Alec was allotted sailed from Adelaide on the 16th of August, 1915, aboard the SS Cairo, bound for Alexandria, Egypt. On the 18th of October, they and the seventh reinforcements departed Egypt for Sarpi camp on the island of Lemnos. A few days later, they were taken on the strength of the battalion or what was left of it. The 15th battalion was at that time rest. Uh, resting on the island, having suffered severe losses during the savage fighting for Hill 971 and Hill 60 in August 1915. The bat this battalion holds the dubious honor of having the highest casualty rate of any unit that landed at Gallipoli. And this is what he joined, and somehow he came back unscathed. We struggle to understand that kind of courage a courage under fire. Many young men would lie about their age because the call to arms was so strong. That call to camaraderie was so strong. It was the right of every man to be able to fight. The women had to stay home and prepare and look after the children and keep things going while the men went off to battle. It was a badge of courage. It was a badge of honor. And any man worth his salt would go into battle. Where are the Anzacs today? Where is that courage today? I remember at a men's camp, Cole Stringer once stated, and this is paraphrasing my words, but the basic idea is here. He says, where are the young men who would risk their lives for others, who will face courage head on? Many would say, today's generation isn't like that. But I beg to differ. 
Young people today possess that same courage of these young Anzacs. But the difference is that they had a purpose worth living for and thus worth dying for. But today, young people need a purpose so that they can rise to the challenge, and I agree with that. You see, without purpose, we are forced to redefine courage, and we do that. Today, we elevate simple decisions, and we call it courage. Wearing a different outfit than the norm. You're courageous, dude. <laughs> Trying a food you never tried before. That's so courageous. Engaging a new experience. Wow, you're so courageous. <laughs> Compare that to the Anzacs. And today, and you, you can understand, in today we do this in memoriam. I, I don't mean to mock anyone, but I just want to make a point this morning. And when you compare them to these young Anzacs, all of a sudden you realize we're just, it's laughable. Laughable, what we call courage. When guns are literally being aimed at you on purpose with the intent to kill you, and you are commanded to take a hill with all, not just one gun, all these guns aimed at you, and you're seeing your buddies that are, that are dying right ahead of you, and they're on the ground. Somehow this guy escaped unscathed he lived to a ripe old age 102 i think it was years old that's real courage and today i want to share with you a story of courage because the story about to tell you is an army that had to face another army but they were so little it seemed absolutely impossible for them to win this battle so let's read together judges and chapter 7. And while you're turning there, we're going to read from verse 2 to 15. Let me give you the, the balance, so, the context, so you know what's been happening. Judges chapter 6, verse 5 tells us how much the army was. It was impossible, the Bible says, quote unquote, to count the men and their camels. So they didn't ride horses back then, camels. So there was infantry and cavalry, and there were too many to count. That was the number of people. You couldn't even count them that they had to go to battle against. Let's read together Judges chapter 7 from verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. So at that point in time, he had 32,000 men signed up. But remember, 32,000 men against an innumerable force. It was a drop in the bucket. It was nothing. It was quite pathetic. And here's God saying, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, 22,000 men left, while 10,000 men remained. 22,000 were chicken and had to go home. Only 10,000 remained. As if that wasn't enough, verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Are you thinking, God, are we looking at the same battle? Are you looking at the same army here? Because it was ridiculous with 32,000. We're down to 10,000, and you're saying we have to go sift more? He says, take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. 
All the rest got down on their knees, faces planted in the water to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Have you ever been in a battle where you thought to yourself, it is impossible to ever win this battle? The numbers don't stack up. There's no possible way we could even (laughs) begin to think about winning because the numbers are so against us. For some of you, the battle is not actually, well, we're not not soldiers. We're talking metaphorically. We're talking about it might be a battle in the workplace. It might be a battle in your marriage day after day. It's like hell. Don't look at your wife or your husband right now. Day after day, it might be like hell, and you are constantly in the battlefield. It might be your children who are rebellious against you, and they refuse to listen, and you've tried everything you can. You think this is an unwinnable fight, God. Perhaps for others, you are struggling with addictions. For others right now, you've tried to read the Word, you've tried to pray, and it never seems to go anywhere, and it feels like your life is in a circle. You can't grow with God. You say, God, this is an unwinnable battle. I'm hearing the pastor saying you can grow with God. I'm hearing the pastor say there's more to this than what you're experiencing, but God, right now, it seems impossible. These are the battles that we face day after day, and it is a courage that is under fire. See, the moment that you give up, you think, ah, it's too hard, I'll just walk away. You're fearful. You're a chicken. You've taken off. You haven't even tried this battle. But the Bible is full of words to encourage. That that word encourage means to give courage to. In fact, the Bible tells us Joshua himself, he's thinking, we've never fought before, not like this, when he was taking over the promised land. We don't even have Moses with us, a man of God. I've got to lead this battle. How can I possibly do that? And so God had to appear before the very first battle because if they lost this battle, they would lose every other subsequent battle and they would be fearful at heart and leave. That's not God's intention and plan. And so, Bible, according to scholars, the pre-incarnate Jesus appeared as an angel before him. And, and Joshua saying, who are you? Are you with us or for us? He goes, neither. I'm with the Lord. I'm the captain of the host of the armies of the living God. He goes, okay, what's the word? And three times, Jesus had to speak life into Joshua. By the way, the name Jesus, if you actually were to render it from the Hebrew name, the real name, Yeshua, is actually Joshua. So Joshua was speaking to Joshua saying to him, be strong and courageous. The first time the battle will go with you, be strong and of good courage. And finally, be very strong and courageous. Why? Because he was scared. He was fearful because the numbers didn't add up. So here's the question I want to answer today. How can you have courage under fire? If you're taking notes today, the title of the message is Courage Under Fire. Here's point number one. How can you have courage under fire? Number one, God and you are a majority. The Lord says to Gideon, receive this, verse 2, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. <laughs> like, look, I can add up God. I mean, I'm not that stupid. Okay, you gave me a brain. Got, you know, we've got the mind of Christ, but also got a mind. I can add it up. This does not add up. 
32,000 versus an innumerable force, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people. How can you say you have too many? So sometimes in your life, you are struggling in that walk. You think, God, it's too tough. No, I'm going to have the victory. So I'm going to take away your other support people that are around you because you have too many. And I don't want them to say, well, we helped you. That's the reason. No, no. I want them to know that I helped you. So I'm going to remove your support. You're like, God, it's tough enough. The people that were building with me are gone. How can I continue like this? I want to tell you this morning, never underestimate what God can do with the little. The Bible says that at a time when Jesus was roaming the earth, at one time there were 4,000 and then 5,000 people, men, they didn't count the women and children, 12,000 people presumably in one encounter, and they didn't have any food. They'd been staying with him for days. They'd run out of food, and he's been teaching them all day. Imagine going to a service and having someone preach to you all day. That's what they were doing. They're sitting, you know, with popcorn or whatever they had at the time, matzah, you know, bread, and just listening and hanging on every word he was saying so powerful was jesus at preaching and storytelling they were enamored with him this is amazing but now they're starving the bible tells us you know he said to the men you know because they're saying to him oh, jesus maybe we should send them off so they can find food and jesus said no you feed them <laughs> like with what we got nothing i mean got not enough money to pay to feed all these people take a year's wages where are we going to get it from and so jesus answers this way what do you have? God will always come back to this. Oh, God, I can't do it. It's so difficult. It's impossible to do that. He'll say, just stop, stop, stop. What do you have? What's in your hand? And they said, okay, well, we'll ask around. They found out there was a boy who had two fish and five loaves of bread. He goes, that'll do. That will do? And so Jesus begins to thank the Lord. He's not thinking about the lack. He's thinking about his father who's able to multiply and give more and abundantly beyond everything you could possibly hope or imagine. He will break every boundaries that you could set on your mind. And there he is. He blesses the, the bread and the fish. I'm thinking to myself, he had 12 baskets. He said, each of your disciples take up a basket. And they're like, um, <laughs> this, <laughs> okay, yeah, this two fish and five loaves of bread. And you're going to try and put it in 12 baskets? And so there they are, you know, and he's just putting this stuff in there and ripping the fish apart and chucking pieces in there. But it seems like he keeps chucking. The more he chucks, it's reappearing and he's chucking more stuff in there. Before you know it, there's full baskets. And then they go out to give the food and they're thinking, it's going to run out after the first family. No, it keeps going and it seems to be filling up again. It keeps filling up again because it's not about how much, how much you don't have. It's about how much you have and are willing to give to the Lord. You guys are really quiet out there. It's what God can do with what you have right now. We try to understand from the perspective of earth. We use five senses. That's all we got for this planet to interact with it. What you see, what you taste, what you smell what you touch and what you hear. That's all we can interact with this world. And so we're trying to measure things by what everyone else is doing because that's what the world does. They're looking at what you have and they think, no, no, it's impossible. You can't do it. But the Lord said, no, you can't do it. You don't have enough. But we don't look at things like that. We don't look with earthly eyes. 
because there's a sixth sense that the world doesn't understand. That is a spiritual world. And God says, ask of me and I will give you nations. You cannot empty the storehouses of heaven. I know so many Christians that pray so carefully because they, they're afraid that maybe God hasn't got enough. You know, oh Lord, if I could just have enough. I don't say that. I say, God, give me to overflow. I want abundance. I want to be able to give away, oh God, because I want to have more than enough. Some of you guys, oh, I might want that. Do you know why we clap in church? It's because you're saying, I'm claiming that in the name of Jesus. You're also saying, I want my brother, I want my husband to understand that you are just clapping away. Meanwhile, husband's saying, what is this going on here? Okay, I better catch up with her, and I'm doing this too. That's why we, we make noise in church. When we clap, we're saying, I claim that in the name of Jesus. I claim that for my husband. I claim that for my kids. I claim that for my business in Jesus' name. We count numbers. We count people. We count money. We count what we see in front of us. We think it's an impossible situation. Pastor Paul, you don't understand. It's just so impossible that the culture is toxic in my home. The culture is toxic in my workplace. You don't understand how difficult it is. I do understand. I've worked in toxic places. But what we don't understand fully is who God is. I remember, in fact, I was sharing this story last night, working in a workplace. It was for an airline. I got a promotion, but this girl, she also got a promotion. A beautiful blonde girl got there. Of course, she gets all the favor of the boss. All he just had eyes for her, thinking she did everything. You know, she was amazing. She's all that. And after a while, they were just taking advantage of me. I mean, this is a girl who was a smoker, smoked five times a day. It took you at least 15 to 20 minutes to get outside to the spot where you normally smoke. And then if she got caught behind passengers going through security, it could be longer than that. Meanwhile, I'm still working, and the boss is accusing me of not doing work. I mean, it was so cheeky. And they were making it hard for me every single day. It was so toxic. I was feeling sick to my stomach every time I had to go to work. And I was in battle mode every single day. I didn't want to be there. And I prayed, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. <laughs> you know, I was like, Jesus, multiple times. But Lord, not my will but yours be done. He said, uh-uh, uh-uh. I want you there because I'm trying to teach you something. I want you there because I'm trying to build muscle on you. I want you there because I want you to understand what I can do for you. And this is what the Lord did for me. Within a very short period of time, I think, oh, short, one year, the boss gets fired for the same thing that he was accusing me of, not doing my work. He got fired. A new boss came on board. Guess what? Same thing. A male. He sees the girl. He's enamored by the girl. Thinks she does everything. Same thing. Toxic culture. It wouldn't change. I think, dear God, I thought you move one. By the way, one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is this. God, improve or remove. Improve or remove. And so I'm praying again. Within two years, the same thing happened to that guy. He was gone. What did the Lord teach me? He taught me that despite the fact that I'm in a very difficult situation, I'm constantly in battle, the Lord is saying, take courage, son. I've got this. Take courage, daughter. I've got this. Take courage. I've got this. I've got a plan for your life. What if we began to imagine what God sees. The Bible says we're seated in heavenly places with him. You're seated here, but you're also seated there. And that God is looking around saying, well, why isn't he asking me for stuff? I mean, look around here. I've got like streets made of gold. I've got gates made of pearls. I've got more than enough. Why aren't they asking me? 
I want you to think about that for a moment. You're wondering why you have no answers to prayer because you're not asking him like he has enough. Perhaps you're not even trusting God that he's actually good and you're questioning the integrity of who God is. I want to tell you, God is good. I want to tell you, God loves you. That God has a plan already worked out for you before you began to pray. Here's the second key point. The victory is secured before the battle. Write this one down. The victory is secured before the battle. How do we know that? The rest of verse 2. He says, tell them to go away in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. In other words, he's saying, you've already won. I don't want them to get the credit. God, God's already told uh, Gideon, you're going to win. You've won this one. I've already determined in heaven it's a done deal. And I want to make it so impossible for anyone to ever declare, well, we did that. We fought and won the battle. No, 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 you didn't. It was impossible for you to win the battle. <laughs> Your battle, I want to tell you right now, those of you going through a battle time, your battle is a foregone conclusion. When the dust settles, you win. You need to high-five someone next to you. Just tell them, you win. We win. But what we do is we act like we've lost. Before the battle, you know, in the middle of the battle, I've already lost. I've already lost. You're giving courage to the enemy because they want to know that, that if they're going to win because God already told them you're going to lose. You don't know that. God already told them you're going to lose. It's a foregone conclusion. And God will use impossible to show his glory. I remember when my wife and I, we were doing a building fund with our, our previous church, and we had pledged $5,000. We knew we had $4,000. It could have gone to other things that we really needed. But we thought, no, no, no. We are going to sacrifice to the Lord, but we have no idea how on earth we're going to come up with the, the, the other thousand dollars because money is tight right now. I don't know how we're going to do this. But we trusted the Lord because we both prayed. We asked the church, I want you to pray. Get a piece of paper. I want you to write down your husband. You write it down. Wife, you write it down. I want you to compare. And they, most everyone in the church had the same amount. It was the most dramatic thing. And so my wife and I, we compared. How much did he tell you? 5000 How would you tell you? Same. 5000 How are we going to do this? All we have is $4,000 in the bank. We won't be able to survive. We're going to have to really struggle to be able to give this money. But how are we going to do this? How could we possibly get the extra $1,000? Well, we got home and Tanya decided to just clean out the, the cupboard. And, and one of the purses, she stumbled upon it, wanted to have a look at it. And there's an envelope inside. She goes, oh, that's interesting. Pulls out the envelope. Guess how much was in the envelope? $1,000 exactly. I could tell you numerous stories how this has happened because we keep thinking to ourselves, he can't do it. He's not good enough. He doesn't have enough. He is good enough. He does love you, and he has more than enough, and all you have to do is ask in Jesus' name. Now you're coming alive. Praise the Lord. Impossible. I need you to get this in your spirit. Impossible, quote, unquote. That word is servant to God. You were thinking, oh, God, but my situation is, is so impossible. You said, you think I'm not? <laughs> there is no impossible with God. It doesn't exist in his vocabulary. It only exists for us. Meanwhile, you think, oh, God, you just don't understand. Yes, he does. The Bible says Jesus was on this planet, suffered every possible thing we did, and he knows and he understands. Never has impossible ever threatened God. Oh, my God, it's a, it doesn't threaten him at all. It poses no challenge to him. Yet our ability 
to see victory is always hampered by fear. Our soul needs to see all the pieces put together before I'll believe. But your spirit sees everything in advance. Did you know your spirit talks to God's spirit? Did you know that the spirit of God knows all things and your spirit is talking to him, revealing things to your spirit, stuff your soul doesn't pick, hasn't picked up on? And I believe for many Christians walking around, some people have this angst in their spirit because they know what they're capable of and what they should be doing, but their soul shuts it down because of unbelief and lack of courage and never fulfilling the destiny God has for you. If you're here today and if you're listening online, this is a word of the Lord for you. Many of you are not fulfilling the things that God has designed for you, and you think that when the pastor preaches, God has a destiny for you, that it's a mockery. It's not a mockery. You just have to step in courage into the things that God has for you. You're very quiet now. Let me tell you something. As a church, I want to show you this building, and I literally want to take you straight out to church. We need some people to stay behind to pack down who are willing to do that. Maybe you've seen it, and you, you, you're being gracious enough to let others go. But if you could pack down for us, I want to take you as a church over to our new building straight after the service. We're going to go in there. Marty's been very kind to get the key for us. We're going to go in, and we're going to go into that place, and we're going to pray over it. Why? Because we were so close to building. We were supposed to build this week, but we couldn't because we need building authority approval first. And what they've told us is, oh, no, you have to have two exits, number one. Number two, the distance... The, the, the distance from the furthest point in that building to the exits is too far away. According to uh, the normal uh, ruling, it's 60 meters. But there was a special provision apparently for this building for 85 meters. But the distance apparently, according to this guy, is 106 meters. How do you change that? We don't have an exit to be able to make that possible. So we're going to need miracles. So this is another impossibility. Just for those of you who are new, you don't know the story. Every single time we've tried to go forward, there's been another battle. Some of you are nodding. You know I've been shared with you, and we've been praying. The last one was air conditioning modification was going to cost us $100,000 just to modify air conditioning. Really? We could put in air conditioning for less than that. Anyway, by the grace of God, that was the first quote. Pastor Dave Smithhurst, who's teaching the evangelism class, he put me on in contact with the guy who does air conditioning. He came in, he says, 5,000. 5,000. He says, I have no idea where these people came up with that figure, but you've got two 46-kilowatt machines there. Maybe they wanted to fund a holiday, but it's 5,000. Every single time, God's made a mockery of these barriers that have come up, but we've got a new barrier. We've got to get past this one. So I want to show you the vision because I've been talking about it. I've been sowing this vision, and you've been giving. God bless you. Keep paying your tithes and offerings. So if you notice, if you're new to the church, we don't take up tithes and offerings here. But we have a, a place where you can give. Or you can actually use credit card if you want to or give in person over there. But the vast majority of our church, 90%, give online because it's a part of our maturity in the Lord. And you'll get some teaching on that to help you if you're new to all that. But for others, on top of that, they're giving giving to be able to get us into that building. We are so close, but we need your prayer. So I want you in courage and in faith to come with me straight after the service to go there, and we're going to pray in that spot. And let me show you the vision that God's given us. It'll blow your mind. It's good. It's very, very good. Ready for the third one? Let's go real quick. Number three, 
Fear has no place in kingdom living. You've got to write that one down. You might have to bold it. Fear has no place in kingdom living. In verse 3, God says to Gideon, announce to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. Because God is saying, I don't want that kind of negativism in this place. I don't want that kind of thing to destroy the faith that is in this room. I don't want that kind of fear to remove the vision that God has planted in this place and in your life. Because God will not move in a culture of fear. You see, if faith is a currency of heaven, fear and doubt is a currency of hell. The Bible says that God, sorry, God, Jesus, who is God, could do few miracles in his own hometown because of their lack of faith. Think about that for a moment. The opposite of faith is fear. Fear, not just doubt but fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want to march in power. I want to take down every challenge that comes our way. We're doing it right now. We've got one more, guys, one more, and we're going to take this one down. Fear will cast doubt on God's goodness it doubts that God is good. It doubts that his intentions are good. But I want to encourage you to step into something greater than this. See, to be afraid means that you're feeling fear. You're feeling anxiety. You're frightened of these things. That's not the position that God wants you to be in. God has made you the head, not the tail. God has given you power, strong might. 22,000 men. Think about this for a moment. Imagine if you're one of the 22,000. Yeah, I'm scared. I want to be home with my wife, my children, my business. I'm afraid I'll lose it all. They missed out on an opportunity of a lifetime. In fact, more than 22,000. Opportunity is often difficult to recognize because it is camouflaged as too challenging or too hard. And so we don't touch it. But that's why these people in business and in life have become champions because where everyone else thought, oh, it's too hard, they thought, I'm going to do it one more time. I'll get up just one more time. Did you know in the Olympics, those Olympians are almost all at the same level, almost all at the same level. Like if you and I try to compete against them, it would be laughable. <laughs> Imagine trying to do a 100-meter sprint against one of those guys. It would just be a joke. Among them, they're so equal. But the difference between the champion is that they get up one more time. The difference between a champion is that they'll run laps one more time. They'll go to training one more time. Just one more time. I want to ch challenge you with this thought. I feel this is a word for someone. You're about to give up. Just one more time. Just one more time. But give God a go. Even Jesus at times had to remove people who lacked courage and faith from the room. The Bible tells us about Jairus' dead daughter, Mark chapter 5, that he had to tell him to get out of the room, and he only took Peter, James, and John, men who had greater faith than even the other disciples. The others couldn't even make it. He took the people with faith with him. Here's the key number four. Reduction doesn't mean rejection. You need to write this down. Reduction doesn't mean, oh, but all these people have left me. Yes, it's okay. It's in God's plan. It's all right. We were warned that when we built this church, that the people who built it with us will not remain with us forever. 
but they would be there to help us. They were like scaffolding to help us build a building. And then they would leave. And we've seen people at Live City Church come and go, if I were to tell you how many people, and if they were still here, we would be in excess of 200 people would be in this church right now. But I believe that you are here specifically for a purpose. You're actually builders of the house. You are the ones that made it, and you're going to walk into this new building, and it'll blow your mind right after the service. When you see it, you're like, I can't believe this. How can we afford this? It's another miracle. God has been changing and moving things for us. In verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, after he removed 22,000 people, there are still too many men. Take them to the water, and I will sift them for you. You're thinking to yourself, oh, God, I failed. They've left me. No, no. God says, I will sift them for you. I am going to remove them from your life. Some of you have had friendships, and you're crying over these friends that left you, and you've been lamenting on Facebook. No, no. God removed them from your life. He sifted them for you, not against you for you because it's better for you because when you go on this journey and you go to the next level you can proudly say God and I are a majority I didn't need you you left me when I need you the most and God has revealed who you really are in my life everyone okay with this you're very quiet I remember when we were uh, associate pastors on the north side this is going back many years ago and uh, we were doing our first thing. My senior pastor said to me, Paul, I want to do an international church. I want you to start one up. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? One day God spoke to me, you're going to do it. <laughs> God, man of faith that I was. And so I gathered people together, like-minded, who would help us to start it. And I was so encouraged because there's so many people. We're with you, Pastor Paul. We're going to do this. We're going to take down the giants. And the day before we were going to do it, they deserted me about... <laughs> More than half of them deserted me. I had a quarter of the people left. But that's all I needed. God sifted them for me so that those people could never say, we did that. The only reason you were successful because we did. No, no. They were gone. They were removed with a handful of men. We were in church praying, I think, two, or two to four hours. Just moving around. God, you've got to do this. It's beyond our capability. We're having this launch. A long story short, God so moved that the place was packed until it was elbow to elbow. It was standing room. We had people outside. They were cooking food and doing things. The place was packed. Don't ever think that God can't. God can. Someone needs to do that. Hashtag God can. Have you ever felt like the situation is bigger than you? Have you ever felt like the situation is so big it threatens you? Hashtag God can. The situation is darker and grimmer because God wants you to know that he will bring you the victory and no other. The greater the challenge, the greater the story. The greater the test, the greater the testimony. The bigger the giant, the harder they, thank you so much, fall. And here's the last and final one, number five. God chooses the prepared. This is all to build courage inside of you. You feeling courageous? Are you feeling courageous? Amen. Thank you so much. <laughs> you need to put that on there on the, on the, on the, on the feed. God chooses a print. Look at number five. So Gideon took the men down the water. Then the Lord told him, separate those who lap water with their tongues like a dog, blah, blah. 300 men lap with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got on their knees to drink. Look at the numbers. 32,000 started. 
against an innumerable force, 22,000 were removed. That's 10,000 remaining. And then out of 10,000 men, watching all of them that were drinking water, only 300. So in total, they lost 31,700 men. 31,700 men. Now, if that was like you're starting a business or if you're launching church, that's the point where you're like, that's it. I give up. <laughs> Game over. I give up. That wasn't, but that was God's plan. God used less than 3% of the original army. Why? Because they were prepared. It's interesting. You see, according to, uh, to tradition, what happened was the people that were bowing down into the water, they were actually bowing down. Whereas the men that prepared had a weapon in one hand and were looking about and taking water to the mouth. They were prepared. And that's what the Lord was looking for. I'm looking for the prepared. The Bible tells us a story of the five wise and five foolish virgins who were waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom, Jesus. And only five of them brought extra oil because they realized we have no idea how long the bridegroom's going to take because you know men. <laughs> and so they brought extra with them. But five of the, of, the, of the bridesmaids did not. They only had just enough to last that, that time for a few hours. And then when it ran out, they said, could we borrow some? They said, no, because we don't have enough for us. But why don't you go to the store and buy some? And while they went... The Bible tells us the bridegroom arrived and took the five with him, and the other five were barred from ever entering that wedding ceremony. God chooses the prepared. According to the rabbinic tradition, indeed, the lapers were chosen because those on bent knee did not know they were bowing down to an idol. According to Josephus, the great historian, the lapers were actually cowards. He's saying the opposite. He's saying... That it wasn't just about being prepared. Josephus was saying they were scared. They had a weapon in one hand and they're, they're looking around. Whereas the other men were totally at peace, face in the water. So, which makes the story even greater. It's okay to be scared. Being courageous doesn't mean the absence of fear. It means courage in the face of fear. Courage under fire. What we... Thank you for joining Life City Church. And we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.